Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers. Called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. And here at FCBC, you know how we do it. How do we say it, family? We live, we love, we serve. Amen. Listen, I want to continue. Last week I said for this month we'd be talking about Jesus. A little deeper dive into Jesus. Last week we talked about I am focused. And so I want us to look this week at Gospel of Mark again. And also we want to shout out we have some babies here today because after service, immediately after service is our baby dedication today. So we got some babies to dedicate, I believe, today. Mark, the second chapter, verses 18 through 22. Mark 2, 18 through 22. And I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. And bear with me today. I'll make sure I get you out to your lunch appointments. I got one, too. So I got to hurry to make my, my reservation. Mark 2, 18 through 22 today. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. Jesus said to them, the wedding guests cannot fast while the bridegroom is with them, can they? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and, when, and then they will fast on that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old cloak. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is lost. And so are the skins. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. Amen. Come on, let's pray, beloved. God, we thank you today and we honor you for this moment. This sacred time that you've called us together, assemble us in this sanctuary to honor you, to praise you, O oh God, and to worship you. For God, you've been faithful beyond belief. Today, O oh God, we celebrate mothers, O oh God, the conduits of life. We thank you, God, that wombs are still holy. We thank you, God, for these women, these courageous, powerful, sacred women who've given birth and have been an extension of your divine protection and creativity. So God, we thank you for our mothers today. We thank you for their love, their grace, their patience, their endurance. But most of all, Lord God, we thank you for just giving us these amazing women. And God, we know that all of us may not have had the greatest experiences, but oh God, we're here. We're here. We were birthed for this season. So, God, we thank you. We honor you. And it's in your beautiful name we pray. And we say amen. 
Amen. Remain standing. Let me just read verse 22 of that passage, Mark 2, 22. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is lost. And so are the skins. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. Amen. Come on, put your hands together and give the Lord a hand clap of praise. You take your seat. Somebody need to put their phone on vibrate. I done heard it twice now. Listen, I want to have fun with this title today. This is the title of today's sermon. Lepers, paralytics, and sinners, oh my. That's the title of today's sermon. Lepers, paralytics, and sinners, oh my. Sounds familiar. Mark's gospel is an amazing gospel because Jesus breaks in quickly in this book. And as we talked about last week, he announces that God is doing something new. It is called the good news that he preaches, the kingdom of God. And he tells people when he arrives and begins his public ministry that the kingdom of God is now here. It has arrived. And over the next weeks to come, we'll talk about this kingdom of God. But I want to say this now before we advance in the weeks to come, that there is no one definition for the kingdom of God. That when you read through the Gospels, Jesus gives not definitions, but examples of what the kingdom of God is like, which may be why so many people have a problem with getting close to the good news or the language of the kingdom of God, because it is not as definable as other things you may see in Scripture, nor is it some quick formula you can recite or engage in in order to be, quote unquote, saved. The kingdom of God is about God's new move, God's inbreaking that shatters and ruptures old assumptions, old ways, old mechanisms, and old traditions. That's what the good news is. That those who have been held captive by old ways of thinking that undermine person's humanity, dignity, and the inherent dignity of their humanity, those old mechanisms are coming to an end. Boundaries are shattered. Assumptions are destroyed. And more importantly, God is demonstrating through the teaching and work of the carpenter that those who have been regularly left out have now found a place in. Those who have been forgotten are now remembered. And those who have felt lost are now found. The kingdom of God is at hand. When Jesus begins Jesus' work, we see it all through the Gospels that there are those who have an, an issue with Jesus. Namely, we see them as scribes and Pharisees. Just so that you know, scribes are those who are given the responsibility of interpreting the law, interpreting the teachings of the Torah, the Old Testament. Pharisees are priests, but they were those who were part of a new reform movement. So let me help you understand why the Pharisees had an issue with Jesus. The Pharisees' reform movement was to maintain a hold on Jewish tradition and practices and law in the midst of Roman occupation. They believed that Rome had dominated them. So and the last thing the Pharisees wanted to see was the ending of the Jewish law, the Jewish practices and the Jewish tradition. This is why they fight against Jesus. So because when Jesus arrives on the scene, he seemingly shatters what Jewish tradition, Jewish faith and even 
throws into question the Jewish law, the teachings, and the prophets. I hope you catch this today. They have a problem with Jesus because Jesus is shattering boundaries, upending traditions, and challenging age-old practices. That's why I'm always amazed at people who claim to follow the carpenter be disciples of Jesus, who then are stuck rigidly to boundaries, traditions, and old mechanisms of understanding. Because if you're going to follow the carpenter, take Jesus seriously, that means part of your work and part of your assignment is to be about the same word Jesus was about, shattering the boundaries, challenging traditions, and saying that today is a new day and that the kingdom of God is here. Jesus's way of shattering traditions wasn't just by teaching. It was word and deed. Word and deed. I love this. So it's one thing to say that God is doing something new. It's another thing to demonstrate it. And one of the traditional assumptions that Jesus shatters from the very beginning is about who's good and who's not. Who's in and who's out. It seems strange that this religious sect, that there would be traditions that ritualistically keep people on the outside of community. I need you to capture this today. That there will actually be practices, and you should be familiar with this because the church hasn't changed over 2,000 years, that engage in practices that isolate people, that put people out of relationship and even fellowship with the larger body. This is what was happening. And one of the targets for the tradition were people who had afflictions. If you were afflicted, the assumption was the affliction was punishment for sin. You need to get that. Affliction was punishment for sin. And so if you had something that afflicted you, some physical ailment, some sickness, some condition that apparently there was no cure or healing for, the assumption was that this was the work of God punishing for either the sins of the individual or if they were born that way, it was punishment for the sins of the parents. That was the belief. They were ostracized, relegated to the margins of community, not allowed fully into fellowship because after all, why would you want to fellowship with sinners? That was the assumption. So when you go through Mark 2, Jesus does some things. doesn't just talk, he does it. A leper approaches Jesus. And that's Jesus to make them clean. He said, if you choose, Jesus, you can make me clean. And Jesus said this, I do choose. And he heals the man. He tells the man, go show yourself to the priest. And when he says that, what a powerful statement, because he knows the only way this leper could be welcomed back into fellowship and community is if the priest were to verify that the man had been healed. So Jesus tells the man after he is, go now, go back to fellowship, go back to being a part, go back now to being an insider, no longer an outsider. He does this and he does this by engaging those who are viewed as what? Outcasts. After Jesus heals the leper, he then goes and said he got away. He tried to get away from folk because you know how it is when you got a real good gift and everybody wants a piece of your gift. Maybe some of y'all understand that today. When, you, 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 when, when, when everyone wants a piece of you for what you can provide for them. And so people are pressing Jesus and Jesus just wants to get away. He wants to get away and, and, and escape the crowd. Because I said it last week, every now and again, you have to learn how to disconnect 
unplug or else you can have your personal assignment dislodged by people who want to confiscate your gift for their own personal use. So he gets away. And here's the part in Mark. When you got time, we're going to study it this week at TNT. But I had a conversation with some preachers at a conference last week and, or the week before in Houston. And I asked them to look at this passage. And the one thing people miss in this passage when you read it, especially from the Greek translation, is that when Jesus leaves the leper and then goes to get away walking along the sea, just spending some quiet time of self-care, it says when he had come back to his house, to his home. And people think that means home being the territory. No, he was already in town when he came back to his home where he lived. Most people never understood this about this passage, that when he gets back to his place where he resides, where he lives, there are people at his house waiting for him, pressing him to heal. You never realize that those men who lowered the paralyzed man through the roof tore up Jesus' roof to get the man down before him. That was Jesus' roof. Sometimes when people want things from you, they don't care about what they disrupt in your life to get it. They heal the paralyzed man. Jesus sees through the roof of the house. Jesus sees the faith of the friends who lowered the man who was paralyzed through the roof. And Jesus says, because of the faith of your friends, man, you're healed. No, he says, no, no, let me correct it. Your sins are forgiven. When he says this, the religious leaders who are present are angry. They say this is blasphemy. No one can forgive sins but God. And for my churchy folk who may be here today, my Bible people, here's what they base on Leviticus 24, 15 through 16, which says this, how blasphemy, holding on to what belongs to God or doing what only God should be doing is punishable by death. He assaults by forgiving the man, the scriptures, and the tradition. You need to understand that, especially when there are people even today who start saying stuff like, well, if it ain't in the book, I ain't doing it. And if the Bible don't say do it, I ain't doing it. And here's Jesus doing the opposite of what the book said. You got to get this because you can't just say you sold off of Jesus just because you use Jesus' name. And somehow your practices and your belief must be in alignment with what Jesus said and did. And so here it is. They question who can forgive sins but God alone. And Jesus says, well, you tell me what's easier to do. Say your sins are forgiven or take up your mat and walk. But so that you believe that I'm connected to a higher source. So that you understand these ain't just words I'm speaking. But since you need to see something more than forgiveness of sin. He tells the man, get up, take up your mat and walk. Before I move on from there, notice, though, his initial blessing and breakthrough for the man wasn't the healing. It was the forgiveness. Now, imagine being the man paralyzed, believing that somehow your paralysis is connected to sinfulness and thinking that you're unworthy of being part of God's community, unworthy of being in fellowship with other people like you. Because something's wrong with you and you got a sin problem. Forgiveness of sins is the alleviation of burden and guilt, anxiety, depression. By saying your sins have been forgiven, what Jesus was saying is all these years you've been carrying the weight of thinking you were problematic. All these years you've been walking around thinking that you were the issue. I want to remove that weight from off of you, that burden from off of you. You are more than enough in that regard. 
your sins are forgiven. But because the Pharisees, the people who were trying to hold on to the traditions, had a problem with what Jesus said because what he said was antagonistic, they believed to the scripture. Can you imagine that their mean-spiritedness helped the man walk again? And that's why you shouldn't always necessarily say, God, remove my enemies. Sometimes God said, watch me do what I do in the presence of your enemies. Hold on, let me back up for a second. Pause. I've said this before, but I need to say it again. I have found myself at times saying things in the past, like, God, if you remove these people out of my life, if you get this person out of the way, if you just take it, you know you've said that. You don't have to lie in church today because I know that you've been more. Let me see my truth tellers today who pray, God, get this person out of my I'm glad y'all telling the truth. Some of y'all still lying, though, but. Right. Can you imagine if you ask that, make that request of God and God's like, no, nope, I'm going to keep them around for the entire time. Because what's going to happen is the same people who chastise you, making fun of you, ridiculing, you got to see what I do for you. Right. And, and there it is. It's that scripture. Psalm 23. He'll prepare a table for you. What? In the presence of your enemies. Ain't nothing like seeing your enemies have to rejoice at your breakthrough. Oh, my God. OK, I'm going to hurry up. I'm going to hurry up. And so watch this. He now he's cured the leper. He's engaged the man who was left out. He's healed and forgiven a paralyzed man. And then he leaves the crowded house and encounters a tax collector. Levi, despised and hated because not only he was being used by Rome to tax the people, but he was greedy. He was overtaxing. He was padding his pockets on the plight and pain of his own people. When Jesus has an encounter with Levi, something shifts in Levi's spirit. He realized, and maybe he knew all along he couldn't keep doing this, but somehow in his encounter with Jesus, he realized it was time to turn things around. He invites Jesus to his house to eat, and he throws a party. And at the party, look at the invitation list. Other tax collectors and other sinners. Well, when you see sinners in this New Testament in particular, it really speaks to those who blatantly disregard the law. This is what the sinners were referred to in the Gospels. Persons who blatantly disregard the law, the Old Testament, the traditions, the teachings. And they come around. Why in the world does he hang with these people? Huh? I mean, nobody who know the Lord hang with sinners. It's the problem with church today. We think sometimes that church is a fellowship of the saved versus a gathering of the afflicted. We see, we don't understand that part of the reason why church is in decline ain't because of the quote unquote unsaved. Church is in decline because of the people who occupy pews every week who think that somehow their status gives them the right to look down their nose at somebody else. We, we somehow think that because you claim to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus, that gives you the right to lord your status over somebody else, as if you've always been praising God yourself. I'm amazed at how many people claim to know God and have a short memory. 
Because now you can dance a little bit and shout a little bit and beat a tambourine a little bit. And now you know a few words from Bible. All of a sudden now you forget the days when you weren't doing this. And now you start looking at other people who were where you used to be and now start thinking you're better than them because you've now arrived at a new place in your own journey, forgetting where you used to be. In other words, you've dishonored your own breakthrough by forgetting that you were once broken. And somehow it is that status of moving from the one who's been broken to the one who has a breakthrough that makes your life what it is. And your responsibility is to be a living testimony of what God has done in your life. Not to make people feel bad, but to now make them feel better for the possibilities that abound. Why? Because if God can get my life together. Oh, I got somebody here who knows. If God can turn me around. That means that God can do some work on any. See, some of y'all ain't clapping loud enough. Watch this. I'm talking about the folk in here right now who knows that just the other day you was jacked up. Just the other day people were talking about you and you bear a responsibility now to go back and tell folk, look what the Lord has done in my life. If we had that attitude, folk would not look at us as hypocrites in church. They would look at us as fellow journey persons who are trying to navigate their way through life. Walking around here like you don't ever make a mistake no more. So here it is. Then I want me out. He heals a leper. He heals a paralytic. And he hangs out with sinners. And here's what he is saying is the kingdom is like. The kingdom is full. I, I, I like many years ago, a pastor, a friend of mine, Larry Covening, was here many years ago and preached. And he said, everyone in this building is a member of the was club. He said, if you could be honest, you could talk about what you was back in the days. The kingdom is full of folk with testimonies of their lives being transformed. The good news is that the barriers and boundaries and traditions and practices that have held people captive who already feel bound no longer hold weight in the presence of the kingdom. I hope you get that today. And so here it is. Leper. Paralytic sinners. And then here they come at Jesus in Mark 2.18 real quick. Hold on. John's disciples fast like the Pharisees. But your disciples don't fast. Here Jesus come with a cryptic response that they probably know what he's talking about. That's why I love Jesus. Because you know what? When you speak on another level based on a divine connection, people will never fully understand you. That's why I love when people say, Pastor, I don't understand what you're saying. That's fine. It won't for you. They like. <laughs> he like, listen, look, look how he responds, Rashi. He can't just be like, we don't fast. He going to come with them. Well, the bridegroom is here. 
do you fast when the bridegroom is present? I love this. He's hitting them on their own tradition because during the wedding ceremony, the bridegroom is present and there's a feast that takes place. He likened his arrival to the feast moment. God is doing something worthy of celebration. He said, do you fast when the bridegroom is here? No, when the bridegroom is gone, there'll be time for that. But the bridegroom is here. God is moving. God is having God's way. The spirit is on the agenda. And we're going to now focus on that work. What he's really saying is this. You are mad because of all the things I've done. The problem is you've been so ritualistically addicted to your tradition that you forget human need. That there are people in your presence who still need to be redeemed, who still need to be healed, who still need to be made whole. And you are so caught up on the tradition and so caught up on the practice that you bypass the wounded to hold on to your tradition. You walk past the broken so that you can say you have your rituals intact. And then here it comes. Jesus tells him, and here it is, and I'm done. He says, the issue is this. You don't put new cloth on an old piece of garment that's torn. He said, because when you put that new cloth on, it will not only get torn, but it will worsen the damage to the cloth. And they were looking at him like, what does it got to do anything? They didn't get it. And I like this analogy. A lot of y'all like it. He said, y'all can't get with cloth. Let me talk about wine. You don't put <laughs> new wine in old wineskins or else it will burst the skins and the new wine and the skins will be lost. You put new wine in new wineskins. Here's the problem right now in church. Churches across this country are packed today with old wineskins. So caught in old ways of thinking that you can't receive when God is doing something new. Yeah, I know this is tough for some folk. You got all this new wine, Jesus is saying but you don't want to become a new wine skin. Now here's, notice this and I'll be done for real. Jesus doesn't say throw away the garment nor throw away the wine skin. He said because a new wine will burst it in his own, his own. So he's not saying throw away the tradition or throw away the rituals. Just know that they don't have precedence over God's movements. They are good, but they ain't better than what God is up to. That you can have all your traditions in the world, but if you miss what God is up to, something is off. And so here it is. Here it is. I, I, over the weeks to come, I'm going to talk about the details of the kingdom. But here's what I want to say. This is what the good news does. Because the good news is good news for lepers, for paralytics, for sinners. But this is why. Because the good news does three things. Now, I'll give them to you and I'll let you go to your brunch. Right? The good news challenges traditions one that when you proclaim the good news of jesus you are saying that some traditions that are practiced may not hold weight in comparison to human need suffering hurt that human need for wholeness acceptance redemption and restoration take precedence over maintaining your tradition Remember, Jesus healed on the Sabbath and the Pharisees were so caught up on the Sabbath, they didn't pay attention to the people who were healed. The good news 
challenges traditions. Then, secondly, the good news shatters boundaries. I hope you get this. All those boundaries that are created to divide people and keep people separated, the good news shatters that. That means that the good news is not shaped by old assumptions that seek to label people based on misunderstandings of other people's humanity. It shatters the boundaries. That's why our identity statement talks about loving beyond the limits of your prejudices. In other words, that means the boundaries have no weight in comparison to the love of God that ought to be inside of you. I'm amazed at how many people want to worship God with no love in their heart. My grandmother would say, you can't love, you can't worship God with, anim with all the, the animus in your spirit, with all that toxic in your spirit. It's not that you can't worship God, but you got to. You got to correct the toxicity that you harbor against other people. Can you imagine trying to push your praise through your toxic internal rumblings, trying to get your worship through, not being honest? No. If you know you have been guilty of labeling, judging, without looking at yourself, what you talking about Maybe your talk, but it ain't good news. Okay, y'all mad at me. Let me get out of here. The good news is about a new order focused on human need. Oh, Y'all don't get that? Okay. All of us in here know what it is for God to look beyond your fault. See, you can't just sing it. Well, look at my granddaughter looking at me. She just messed me up. All right. Somebody in here. I'm out, y'all. I got to deal with my granddaughter. Somebody in here today can say that I was in a space where people were looking at me strange because they thought they knew my story. Where folk looked at my past and tried to hold me to that. But I thank God that my life today ain't based on people's assumptions about who I am. Oh, I know I got some folk in here today. And I'm here today because God saw my need. And I know I'm not the only one in here today who can testify that God saw my need, responded to my need. And I'm standing here today because God restored my life and got my life together. And I participated in the breakthrough that God has been working in my, I wish I had somebody in here today who could testify. Now, if you know that your praise comes from an authentic place based on transformation, you ought to never be embarrassed about sharing what the Lord has done in your life. If you know that your worship is about the authentic breakthroughs you've experienced with a God who's looked beyond all your issues and still loved you anyway. You will never be ashamed of your praise. For some people, Jesus was and is a problem. That may be why some people like being Christians and not disciples. If you were to ask the Pharisees about Jesus, they would have said he's a problem. If you were to ask the scribes about Jesus, they would have said he's a problem. But if you were to ask the leper who was now clean, 
or the paralytic who can now walk or the sinners who now had a seat at the table. They would tell you a whole different story. You still ain't got it? Okay. It's Mother's Day. There are a whole lot of mamas in here who didn't know how they were going to make it with their children. But God stepped in and truly opened doors that no man could close. Is there any mothers in here today who can testify that Mother's Day ain't just a day of recognition, but I bless God for helping me raise my babies, for helping me take care of my children. When I didn't know where the next meal would come from, God made a way out of nowhere. I know that's real churchy, but it's true. If I asked you what your assessment of God would be based on your experiential data, you would have to say that God redeemed my life. There's a song in the church. If anybody asks you just who I am, tell them that I am redeemed. That's my name. I'm just like the leper, just like the paralytic, just like the sinners. And guess what? I got a seat at the table with God. Listen, that's the beauty of the Jesus narrative. The good news is not about a formula that you recite. The good news is about the shattering of old ways that keep us captive, that lessen our love. The good news is about how no matter what your past has been, you always have a present and future with God. That's the good news. And I don't know where we get these strange practices in church, walking around criticizing and ridiculing. When you read the Gospels, when people were broken, Jesus didn't come and break them more. He came to heal, to liberate, to set free. And if you claim to follow the carpenter and you're not about that business, I don't know what you're doing. Here's what I want. My goal as a teacher and preacher is really to reach the people who don't like church. I mean, I love, I love that we're here, but Jesus said, go and make disciples. Make disciples. And here's what I want to tell folk. If we do what we're supposed to do right, there'll be a whole lot of folk we'll encounter who don't like Christianity, but will fall in love with Jesus. If we do it right, we focus on the good news. We focus on the kingdom. And then somebody says, oh, what about people who sin? What about people who sin? It's not that we walk around just sin and sin. No, but the good news is we have a seat with God. You're never too far away, no matter what anybody tells you.
Everybody in here, no matter what your narrative, your background, watch this, is reachable. 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 Here's what I want you to stand on your feet today. Is prepared to pray and depart. You ought to be glad today that you are reachable. Some of us know that God's arms are long. Old folks just say, if he got to reach way down, yeah, he done reached way down for a whole lot of us. Pulled us out, picked us up. And here's the good news. I'm thankful for this. That God didn't just pick me up one time. Keeps on. Why? Because we all continually, in some way, shape, or form, fall short. That means we're always candidates for redemption. And we thank God for that. So as we pray today, don't make this a selfish prayer. God, I thank you. That's all you got to say. For reaching my neighbors. For reaching my brothers, my sisters. Thank you, God, that we're reachable. Paul put it like this. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. 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 That's good news. Come on, let's go to God. God, we thank you today. We love you, God. God, this world is so full of people who want to be angry for no reason, who are mean-spirited for no reason. In your name, destroy people. In your name, deepen wounds. In your name, damage lives. In your name, traumatize children. In your name, ridicule the hungry and the homeless. God, Remind us that that is not your way. Love is the foundation of this movement. And we are called to live and lead with love. So many of us right now, oh God, suffer unnecessarily because we walk in that spirit of hatefulness. No. Oh, you've been too good, God. For us to wake up every morning mad. You've been too good, God, for us to get up every day angry. And here's what we learn, oh God, that if we learn to be grateful for what we already have, that is the foundation for abundance. If we can be grateful for what you've already done, and then we'll realize that we actually have already had everything. Thank you, God, for this reminder. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this moment. We love you. We love you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future.